Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Well, this evening we do officially begin our new series, which is titled Doctrines of Grace. And I take it by the turnout, either, you know, everyone just got over illness and you're just back at church like normal, or there's some excitement or interest in this series. Because I do see a few new faces that I don't typically see, and so I'm encouraged by that. Now, before I jump into this series, I do want to mention right off the bat that there is a part of me that is hesitant and nervous about teaching this series. And, and why do I say that? Well, for one, this series is going to address very challenging topics such as the nature of God, the nature of mankind, predestination slash election, terms you might have heard before, and then even things like the security of one's salvation. And these are topics that are difficult because these topics really get at the heart of how a person thinks about God and thinks about human beings, specifically the nature of God and the nature of human beings. So that's one thing to say. A second thing that's related to the first point is that due to the difficult nature of these topics, a series like this can cause a lot of division. It can. And that's because, in part, when you really dive into a series like this, there is not a ton of middle ground or gray area regarding some of the topics that we will be addressing. We could also say that as we get deeper into these topics, people who end up on different sides of the issues will often come to realize that they have fundamentally different views of who God is, how God acts, and then related to that, who we are as human beings and how we relate to God. So I can say that whenever a pastor preaches on a series like this, like the one that we're about to go through, there's always a risk that people will disagree to such an extent that they will not even want to continue to sit under the teaching of that pastor. I know of one uh, from Arizona where my parents are who has made comments to the effect that whenever he, he teaches on predestination and election, he typically has a few people that will always leave the church. It's like a, it's a given. You know, if he revisits the topic in three, four, or five years because he's going through a particular portion of scripture, it's like, yep, I'm going to have a few families that are going to end up leaving. And that is because it is a very potentially divisive, uh, and divisive is just a way to talk about division. It's a divisive topic. So that's another thing. And then a third point we could say is that the information and topics we, this is another, at least a point as to why I'm hesitant and nervous about teaching this, is because the information and topics we're going to cover in this series are really best taught to those who already profess faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you were, if you were to look in the Bible, especially when the disciples of Jesus Christ are preaching the gospel to unbelievers, 
they do not go into great detail about the doctrines of grace, and we're going to define that, but about the doctrines of grace or some of the topics that we're going to cover. Now, some things that they mention in their gospel presentation to unbelievers, they are, some of those things are related to what we're going to cover in this series, but you don't see them going to an unbeliever and saying something like, well, if God wants to make you a Christian, he will whether you like it or not. They don't, they don't say that. No, when they're talking to unbelievers, they tell them to repent and then believe. And a lot of the more specifics to how that actually works out in the plan of God and, and, and according to God's power, they don't really get into that until they're addressing the church in some of the letters that are directed towards the churches. And so this really is a series that, that is for the professing Christian. And so if there is anybody here who's not sure if they are a Christian or who maybe even knows that they're not a Christian, well, I'm just going to have to trust that, that God's purposes will be accomplished, even though arguably this is a series that should be directed toward Christians and those who are already professing faith in Christ. Now, despite these concerns and hesitations, I still think that this series is very important to teach. And I'm also convinced that this is the right time to teach this series. And why do I say that? Well, a few things to mention. One is that there are several of you who are either graduating from the youth group this year, which really makes me sad and pains me in my heart. And then also there's at least one or two of you, at least one I know for sure, who is moving at the end of this school year. And so even though they're not a senior, I'm still losing them, unfortunately. And among that population, that group of, of students, there have been questions over the last few years related to this series. Um, and so with that being said, I feel like I have a duty to help those seniors and some of the older students and at least the one that's moving, I feel like I have a duty to help guide you through these topics. And so that's one reason I think it's important to teach this topic. Another thing I can say is that this is a church youth group, right? This is a church youth group. Therefore, most of you would profess to believe in Jesus Christ and in the Bible. And because of that and, and the setting that we're in, I think it is important to introduce you to these topics because you are going to encounter them at some point or another, maybe in a church in fact, I heard from a student in our, our recent Q&A session, or maybe it was a, no, it was just, I think, a, con a conversation that they were attending another church in the area and were just visiting with friends, and they were doing a small group time, and they had some small group leaders that were really adamant about teaching predestination and election. And I won't name the church, but I will say that it's a church I would not expect that to necessarily be emphasized. And so that tells me that even in a church where I would not expect that topic to be emphasized, you still may encounter it. And, and then, of, of course, um, that, that's, that includes our church as well. We're, we're, you, know, you, you are likely, well, like you're going to encounter it right now in this series, right? So that's a great example. Perfect. Okay. Uh, also, even if you don't hear about it in church, which I believe you will if you are attending church, if you are doing any personal study of the Bible, 
you are likely going to encounter passages in the scripture that are directly related to this series. And you're going to have questions and, and going and, and to be curious about how does this work in, in your understanding of God and human beings. And so based on all that, I am convinced that this is an important series and that this is a good time to go through this series. Now, having covered the, this important disclaimer about my concerns and the importance, my beliefs on the importance of this study, let's now dive into this series, but let's begin by defining the title of this series, Doctrines of Grace. Has anybody not heard of this, this uh, phrase, Doctrines of Grace? Is this a new phrase? Maybe you, you haven't. I, I imagine there's at least one or two of you that have never heard this term. And so let's define, let's break this down and define the title of this series. And I do have some slides. So the first one, let's define the word doctrine. All right, doctrine. So as you see on the screen, doctrine simply refers to a belief or, and or teaching about something. And so with this basic definition, we can say that doctrines can exist in a variety of fields or subjects. So we have a lot of student athletes in this room or, and also a lot of football fans. We could even say, for example, that there is doctrine in football. And what do I mean by that? Well, you're going to have coaches and players, all coaches and players, who believe that the game should be played a certain way, that you should run a route in a certain way, that you should tackle in a certain way, that the quarterback should make certain reads in a certain way. And so you could say that that would be a doctrine of football that that coach has. And if he believes in those doctrines of football, well, he's going to teach them as well. And that's how he's going to coach his team. So doctrine just simply refers to a belief or teaching about something. And, and the reason I want to emphasize this is because most often, or most of the time, the term doctrine is applied to the topic of religion. And when it is applied to the topic of religion, it can have some negative associations with it. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is you might hear a statement like, doctrine divides, but love unites. Has anybody ever heard anything like that before? So that's a statement that you might hear. And the idea behind that statement is, well, if you get into all of the doctrines of theology or the doctrines of scripture, well, that's just going to cause division. But if we all just love each other and just focus on you know, the, the, the more, they would say, the more important things of the Christian faith, well, then we can just all be together and be unified. Now, the ironic thing is that if somebody really believes in that statement, that is a doctrine, right? That's a belief that they hold, and then if they really believe it, they're probably going to teach it, right? So, ironically, even that statement is a doctrinal statement, and so we could even summarize it like this. If you have religious beliefs that you would tell and teach others, then you have a religious doctrine. You have a religious doctrine. You have religious doctrines. So various teachings and beliefs about the topic of Scripture, God, and religion as a whole. So that's the first term we can define. The second term that we should define is the term grace. So term grace, there's another slide for that as well. And grace can simply be defined as undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. And in the context of Christianity, grace typically refers to the undeserved favor that God shows and gives to mankind. 
undeserved favor. So let me, or another way we could think of undeserved is unearned. Unearned. So using another sports analogy, some of you probably could relate to this, hopefully not, but think of this. If a coach, well, I, I would hope you relate to the first one, not, the, not necessarily the second one, but let's say the first one. If a coach puts you on the team because you are the best player, then that is not grace, right? That's not grace. If you're the best player, then you should be on the team. You could even think of it like you've earned your spot on the team if you're the best player, right? Unless you're just super annoying and no one wants you on the team no matter how good you are. But typically, if you're a good player, if you're the best player, you have earned a spot on the team. Now, if you are the worst player, this is where I hope it doesn't apply to anybody because you are all awesome in my eyes. But if you are the worst player in your sport and the coach still puts you on the team, that is an act of grace, right? Because you, you certainly don't deserve the spot. You haven't earned, you know, you're the worst player. But the coach wanting to be nice to you puts you on the team. So that is an illustration of grace. Undeserved favor, unearned favor. Now let's put this together and define the phrase doctrines of grace, doctrines of grace. So we could say this at first, and I have another definition, but at, at the first level, the doctrines of, of grace refers to beliefs about God's role and actions in the salvation of mankind. Beliefs about God's role and actions in the salvation of mankind. Now, where grace comes into this is the second more specific definition on the screen, which is that the, the phrase doctrines of grace together as a whole refers to teachings about salvation where it is believed that every aspect of a person's salvation is based purely on God's power and grace. So when we say doctrines of grace, here is a working definition of the term. Now, of course, there is a lot more to this that we're going to cover throughout the series. But just in case I'm losing any of you at this point, or if you are thinking to yourself, okay, well, you've just defined all of this, and I know that this does not really matter to me, and I really don't care about this. If you're thinking that, if you're thinking about that, I want to take us all through an interesting and interactive exercise that I hope is going to show you personally in real time why this series is important. And so what we're gonna do is we are gonna conduct a live poll with some very significant questions. So here's what you need to do. If you have a cell phone and adults, you can participate in this. I won't be participating in this because my phone is up there using the hotspot to make this possible. But, uh, and you know, I'll let you know what I think about all this stuff as the series goes along. But uh, if you have a phone, you can scan the QR code or you can, in your browser, join at slido.com and enter the number below. All right. So as you answer, it's anonymous, but we're going to get a percentage of the room. So we will at least see the percentage of the room. And I would encourage you, I don't know if there's an option to change your answers. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't look at like, oh, everyone's saying servant, therefore, you know, I need to change my answer because that must be the right way. No, what I want you to do 
is answer what you believe. Answer your just your initial gut reaction. And don't worry if, if you think you might be wrong because no one can tell what you've answered anyways. It's anonymous. So just give your gut reaction. All right, so looks like this is stabilizing. Okay, maybe the partner's growing a little bit. Okay, 80-20%. And why is this question important? Okay, now we're at 27. Okay. All right. Again, don't switch, just gut reaction. Why is this question important? Well, if you, rev- if you view yourself more as a servant to God than a partner to God, that's going to influence how you view your relationship, right? Because what you might expect, what a servant might expect in, a re- in, in, in their role as a servant from the one whom they serve is going to be different than what a partner might expect, right? So this is an important question. All right, let's go to the second question. Second question. All right, this is a little more challenging. Does God predict the future or determine the future? Does God predict the future or determine the future? Gut reaction. Gut reaction. And so... There is no third option. So I've tried to, I've tried to, uh, to, so what do I mean by this question? So let me just define this real quick. If you say that God determines the future, what you mean is that every single thing that happens in God's creation, in all of history, is under the absolute control and determination of God. There's nothing that surprises him. There's nothing that he can't control. Whereas if you'd say he predicts the future, well, you would be thinking of God as a God who knows so much about all things that he can look as far forward into the future as possible and tell you exactly what's going to happen because he can see everything play out in the future. But he doesn't necessarily control everything. So he's telling you all about it, but he doesn't necessarily determine the outcome of all things. All right, so 96% say determine, 4% say predict. All right, let's go to the third question. All right, does God have full control over evil at all times? Full control over evil at all times. What do you think? Okay. 88% versus 12%. Now, here's where these things get a little bit challenging. If you said that God determines the future, probably means you also think that he has full control over evil at all times. All right, because how does he determine the future if there's something in his creation that he doesn't have complete control over at all times, right? So, for example, if he doesn't fully control the activities of Satan, well, maybe Satan can then do something to throw a wrench in the plan. So then God has to kind of react and then tell you, oh, okay, well, based on what Satan did here, 
now this is going to be the outcome. Does that make sense? So, but fairly consistent with the last one. All right, let's go to the next one. Next one. All right, does mankind have the natural ability to trust God? Does mankind have the natural ability to trust God? Wow, okay. Pretty, pretty evenly spit, split. Yeah, sorry, spit. Yep, split. <laughs> okay. 50-50, all right. 50-50, okay. That's pretty close. All right, well, we're certainly going to address this in this series, this question. Wow, okay. 50%. All right. Hey, you know what that means? You know what that means? Half of you are wrong, half are right. <laughs> all right, so that's what that means. Okay, next question. Next question. All right. Here's one, and this one can't be, this one can't be both because we're talking about first. First. Does God first choose a person or does a person first choose God? Okay. What's that? <laughs> a little bit challenging, huh? Yep. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? All right, 89, 11%. Okay, stabilizing. What's that? Salvate, thank you. Salvation. Salvation. Thank you. I appreciate that, Ashley. Thank you. That's why, that's why the body of Christ is amazing and all the different members that work together. Okay, yes. Does God first choose a person for salvation or does a person first choose God to be saved? All right, 89%. Say God chooses first. All right, let's go to the next one. Next one. All right. Did Christ's death result in the actual forgiveness of sin or the potential forgiveness of sin? And here's what I mean by that. Let's, let's use you for example. If you are a professing Christian and you claim Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, did he actually pay for your sin or did he create the possibility of forgiveness of your sin that you would then receive when you believed does that make sense so did it at that point pay for your sin grant you forgiveness or a potential actual forgiveness sin or potential Forgiveness sin. Let's just think about it this way. Here's another way to think about it. Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. Basic foundational tenet of Christianity. Is it only potential in the sense that if no one believed in him after that moment, would it have been all for nothing? Because it was a potential that wasn't realized. All right, hopefully that makes sense. Regardless, we'll cover this in the series as well. All right, let's go next question. All right, will some people suffer torment in hell forever? All right, 100%, okay, okay. You may think this is basic. You may think it is, but 
Not everybody believes it. And it's going to be relevant for the next question. Yeah, how did you get 102%? I don't know how that just popped up. Okay. All right, this looks like it's pretty conclusive. Some, oh, somebody's, somebody's uh, trying to throw a wrench into the, to the equation, huh? Okay. All right. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. All right. Next question. Does God have the power to convert a person against their will? Okay. All right. So still majority say yes, but it's close. 60-40-ish is not a huge split. Now, here's, here's to, I'll make this a little bit more difficult, right? This is why this is important. So this is how this relates to the previous question. If some people, if we agree that some people are going to suffer torment in hell forever, if you believe that, and if you believe that God has the power to convert a person against their will, that leaves the question, well, then why doesn't God convert everybody against their will? Why doesn't he? So in that sense, if he has the power to convert a person against their will, and if some people are going to suffer torment in hell, then by logic, then God is determining, so to speak, or at least as part of his plan for some people to go to hell. Because if he has the power to convert everybody, well, then why doesn't he just convert everybody? Right? So this is where this stuff starts to get pretty difficult as we start to think about this. But we're going to address this as well in the series. Let's go to the next one. See how many we got. I think there might be only one more. All right. And here's a big one, very practical implications. Can a true Christian lose their faith in salvation? Okay. Okay. So about a 80-20-20 split. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Let's close it out. We got our, we got our answer. We're going to address this one in this series as well. Now, what I hope, what I hope as we have gone through these questions, what I hope is that all of us now are starting to understand that the, this topic, because all of these questions are related to this series, that they're a little bit more difficult than you might think. And as you do start to think about them, Hopefully, you're starting to see that, wait, actually, these issues are pretty important and significant in terms of how we relate to our, our faith and how we understand our faith. Now, speaking of these questions being important, let me give you some of my reasons why I think they're important. And I've already kind of briefly mentioned this first one, but first, how you answer these questions, and I don't know how you all specifically answer these questions, but how an individual answers these questions reveals how they think about God and how they think about 
mankind. And why is this important? Well, how you think about God and how you think about mankind is going to determine how you live in this world. It's going to determine how you respond to things that happen during your life on this world. And it's also going to reveal what you expect from God during this life on this world. So for example, just to, just to make this practical, if you experience significant loss or hardship in your life, and some of you have already experienced that or you know of people that have experienced that, and if and when that happens in your life, you're going to have to think through questions like, did God determine for this to happen? Was God fully 100% in control of this? Or is this disaster or loss the result of natural consequences or human choice? Could it have been different? So sometimes, so I was in the military for five years, Anybody ever heard the term survivor's guilt? Where somebody, you know, usually a, a combat veteran, they were in a, they were in a, a battle or, or a firefight with the enemy and they failed to cover a certain area or they missed something and then as in their eyes, as a result of that, one of their buddies gets killed or gets blown up and they didn't. And so now they're struggling with the, the feeling that, well, if I would have done this, maybe he would still be alive. Or if I had gotten on that truck, because you'll, you'll, you'll hear there's plenty of situations back during the Iraq war and every war in history where, where somebody was supposed to be on a certain vehicle and they say, you know what, for, for the sake of this or blah, 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 like I'm going to go sit over there. You sit here. You know, this is a more dangerous vehicle. I'm going to go sit in the more dangerous vehicle you take this one. Well, then they go, they switch, they go in that more supposedly dangerous vehicle that'd be in a more dangerous position. And then the vehicle that they move from is the one that gets blown up. And now the guy that they switched with or girl is now dead and they're not. And so they might be thinking, well, if I hadn't done that, I, I would be dead and they would still be alive. That's, that's something that, that people struggle with. And so how you think about God and his control over what happens in life is going to either help you get through something like that or maybe, or maybe not. And so that's just one example. And then one more quick example, practical example, relating to the question of can a Christian lose their salvation? Maybe you, you've experienced this already, but for some of you, it's not going to be until a little bit later in your life. But you may have a close friend or a family member who professed to be a Christian, went to church growing up, and then one day they just completely reject the faith and walk away from Christianity. And maybe they were a person that was not only attending church, but super involved in church, witnessing to people at school about Jesus Christ and doing all of these things for God. And then a few years later, boom, they're an atheist or some other religion. They want nothing to do with Christianity. Well, how do you process that? Were they a true Christian to begin with? If they were and they lost their salvation, can you lose your salvation? May that be you in the future, right? So these are just examples where these questions and these issues are very relevant and practical depending on what you're going through in life. And again, I've, I mentioned this briefly, but all these questions directly relate to the topic 
of the doctrines of grace. And here's another thing relating to these questions. How each of you answered, if I could know how each of you answered the questions that we just covered, I could tell you exactly what you believe about the doctrines of grace and what side of the debate you would fall on at this point in time. Now, what time am I at? Sorry, my phone's up at the hotspot. 722. Okay, I think we're making good time. All right. So speaking of debates and sides, I do want to briefly talk about this, that when it comes to debate and sides relating to the doctrines of grace, there are two theological camps that you need to know about. Just very briefly, two theological camps. The first one would be what's called Calvinism, and the second one would be called Arminianism. Now, don't confuse the second one, okay? It's it's Arminianism with an I, not with an E, because if you say Armenianism with an E, now you're talking about a country and an ethnic group of people, okay? So, you know, you don't want to get a situation later in church where it's like, oh, yeah, these these new people showed up at, at, uh, let's say you fall on the Calvinist side. You don't want to go, you know, in a situation and somebody says, hey, this, uh, this family just joined the church and they're Armenian. And you say, what? Heretics. They're Armenians. Like, we need to go correct them right now. And it's like, no, no, they're from the country, Armenia. Like, they're not Armenia. They're not, they're not, you know, we're not talking theology here. We're talking about ethnicity, right? So don't forget that with an I, not with an E, Arminianism. Now, I could spend time summarizing and defining these two different theological camps, but I'm not going to do that at this point. And why is that? Why am I not going to define it? Well, for one, at this point in time, most of you are not going to fit completely in one camp or the other. If I were to outline it, you would either fall somewhere in the middle or you might even be confused to the point where it's like, I don't really know where I fall in this, in this debate. You know, or maybe like relating to the questions, you had one answer that was Calvinistic, and then your very next answer was Arminian, right? And so, so things aren't necessarily synced up, or they're not all, it's not all consistent in how you would be thinking through these issues. So that's one thing. The second point I would say is that when it comes to the, this topic of the doctrines of grace and all of the issues that we're going to talk about, I would argue that at the end of the day, it's really not about theological identities and debates. That's not what is really important. In fact, I would even say that it can be a distraction. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you start to identify with a particular label or a camp, that can bias you and how you're thinking through these issues in either a good way or a bad way. So some people, if they were to, to, to hear me say, I'm going to teach on Calvinism, they would just shut down. Nope, I don't want to hear anything about it because they have ideas about Calvinism and, and they're just going to jump to conclusions. Or I could say the same thing about Arminianism and a more re, uh, Calvinistic church and then they might immediately jump to conclusions. Well, oh, okay, you're going to, you know, this is who you are, right? So when you, when you start to, to put labels on something, divide into different camps and adopt these identities, it can be, I believe, an unhealthy distraction. And so here's what I would say is the most important thing and the reason why at this point I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, about these, these camps in detail, is because what is important 
is that we understand and trust in what the Bible teaches about these questions and these topics. We need to know what the Bible teaches. And if you think about it, this is something to keep in mind. Our beliefs and our faith are either going to be based and determined by what the Bible teaches or by what men and women teach, what people teach. You can't have it both ways. Either it's going to start with the Bible or it's going to start with people. And from my perspective, I would want all of us to base our faith and beliefs on what the Bible clearly teaches. And I say that because if the Bible is the Word of God, which we believe here at East Memorial, then the Bible must come first. That's where it starts. If there's any man who is alive today, any man that's alive today, any woman that's alive today, the Bible predates them. The Bible came before them. So with that being said, well, think of this. We know that God will never contradict himself and never undermine his word. And so if any person, group, or church church teaches something different than what the Bible clearly teaches, then we need to be able to recognize that and know how to decide between the Bible and those people, those groups, or those churches. So with these points in mind, this is why I don't want to spend any time at the beginning of the series defining and defending either Calvinism or Arminianism. I don't think it would be super helpful. Now, at the end of this series, when we go through all of the major topics, we might talk more about these belief systems and some of the history behind them, but, uh, but not right now. Not right now. So here's what I'm going to do for the remainder of our time this evening, and this is going to take us to the end. What I'm going to do is I'm going to outline the main issues that we are going to cover in the series and then talk very briefly about how we're going to approach these issues as a whole. So one more slide, and that is an outline of this series, speaking of the main topics. And there's going to be six main topics that we're going to cover. And in terms of length of the series, this could be anywhere from, I would say, 8 to 12 weeks. So depending on how long uh, it takes to get through some of these topics. But six main topics, the first one being God's uniqueness and control over his creation. We're going to address that first. Because what you believe about that is going to determine what you're willing to accept and believe about the rest of the topics. So we're going to cover that first. God is what we're going to cover first. All right, number two, we're going to talk about then mankind's ability to respond to God with saving faith. Do they have the ability or do they not have the ability? We're going to discuss that. Number three, we're going to talk about predestination and election what those terms mean, and really the biblical teaching on these topics. And then four, we're going to talk about Christ's atonement or his death on the cross, his payment for sin. And specifically, we're going to talk about the nature of Christ's atonement and the extent of Christ's atonement. That question, did did Christ die for the actual forgiveness forgiveness of sins or the potential forgiveness of sins, that's going to be covered in that fourth topic. Then number five, we're going to cover whether a Christian can choose not to be a Christian. Can a Christian choose not to be a Christian or does God forcefully convert Christians? 
So that's number five. And then number six, finally, we'll talk about the security of one's salvation. Is it permanent? Can you lose your salvation if you're a true Christian? That will be covered in the sixth topic. Now, in addressing each of these topics, here is my goal in this series. And this is kind of the strategy going forward. As we approach these topics, my goal is to identify biblical passages that are the most decisive in determining what we believe about these topics. In other words, I want to identify passages of Scripture that you cannot ignore. And if you do ignore it, you're not going to have a complete understanding of the issue. So that's goal number one. And then goal number two related to that is after identifying those critical passages of Scripture, my goal is then to study those passages while also considering objections and counter-arguments. So I don't want this to be a purely just theological slash theoretical discussion and series. I do want to root this in the text of Scripture. And so that will be goal number two. And then related to this, I I will say this point that if God blesses this series and my teaching in this series, and if I'm successful in accomplishing the first two goals, then my hope is that you will then have a clear understanding about what the Bible teaches regarding these questions and topics. Now, if I'm successful, you'll have a clear understanding. What you do with that is ultimately going to be between you and God. I can't force you to believe one way or the other. All I can do is accurately and faithfully teach God's word in a complete and comprehensive manner, and then it's between you and the Lord at that point. So, with this outline of these topics and my goals and hopes in mind, this is where we come to the end of this evening, so I'm, I'm hope, hopeful that you're excited about this series and, and looking forward to it, but this is where we're going to come to the end. And so as we pray, let's pray for at least two things. One, pray that God would bless my teaching during this series because this is a difficult topic to teach through. And then second, pray that for all of us, God would help us discern what is true to his word. So let's pray for those two things and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening and everyone that you've brought here this evening to, um, to sing songs of worship to you and, and then to, Lord, um, to, to hear about, I and mean, we didn't cover much scripture this evening, Lord, but, but this introduction to this series. And so, Lord, I do pray as we move on from here and, and, and go into this series that you would help me in my preaching, that I would handle your word faithfully and accurately. And then also for everyone that will, that will be sitting in this teaching, Lord, I pray that you give them discernment to to determine what is true and and what is faithful to your word. Beyond that, Lord, I pray for safety this upcoming weekend at the beach retreat and that it would be an enriching time of, of spiritual encouragement and also fun, Lord. I pray for everyone else that you would just continue to bless them and grow them in the knowledge of you. I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.